Welcome to Rolling Out Health IQ. Today, we are joined with our partners from the HVTN Initiative, Faith Initiative, to address the impact of faith and how we see it, um, the institutions in the Black community in addressing HIV and the AIDS epidemic. Are surrounded in, by some prominent um, leaders in this particular area and their communities and the faith-based communities and institutions around the country. We have with us Dr. Shalonda Crawford. Uh, she is a psychologist, a practicing psychologist in California, but she also is the co-pastor of the Experience Christian Ministries. We have with us uh, Bishop Dr. Monty E. Norwood from the Bible Way Ministries here in Atlanta, Georgia. We have with us Dr. D.Z. Cofield um, of the Good Hope Missionary Baptist Church in Houston, Texas. And we have with us Dr. Ulysses Burley, who is really um, spearheading this particular initiative. He uh, is helping to merge the ongoing fight to bring awareness about HIV and AIDS in our community from a medical perspective, merge that with our faith-based institutions to deliver um, a message of, of, of crises. And, and, and look, we need to be aware that this issue is still impacting our community. And so Dr. Burley, I will start with you today. Why this initiative is important at this time um, for our communities. Certainly, thank you, Cheryl, and thank you to Rolling Out Media for hosting these important conversations. As you mentioned, I am the project director for the HIV Vaccine Trials Network Faith Initiative, which is an initiative that is geared toward bridging the gap between what is scientific and what is sacred. The HBTN Faith Initiative was born out of an initiative to address COVID-19 during the COVID-19 pandemic, understanding that in order for us to reach communities that are greatest impacted by health disparities like COVID-19 and like HIV and AIDS, that we had to have faith communities and faith leaders in the conversation. The HIV Vaccine Trials Network is a nonprofit that is responsible for the discovery and investigation of an HIV vaccine. But they understand that the science is only as effective as the communities that are willing to participate in it. So it's not good enough to develop a vaccine that has 91% efficacy in the case of COVID-19. If nobody trusts the vaccine, if nobody wants to participate in the vaccine, it then just becomes science on the shelf. And so the HBTN, which is supported by the National Institutes of Allergy and Infectious Disease, had the acumen to say, hey, we need to make a significant investment in people who can speak to the science, but who also have deep connections in faith communities, because we understand that 
faith plays a huge role in the decisions uh, that people make around their health and their wellness, particularly when you're talking about black and brown people. And so this particular initiative, the HBTN Faith Initiative really is to build upon the success that we had addressing COVID-19 in faith communities to do the same thing with HIV because HIV is still the deadliest pandemic of our generation despite all of the competing and intersecting pandemics that live with us, COVID-19 and now monkeypox and others. And Black people are disproportionately impacted by HIV and AIDS in our country. We also know that Black people are the most religious people in the United States, according to Pew Research, in terms of our frequency of worship, but also our interpretation of sacred texts and the amounts of times that we engage that text throughout the week in our daily lives. And so it makes sense to me then, if HIV and AIDS is disproportionately impacting black and brown people and black and brown people are majority of the demographics of folks who subscribe to a particular faith, that faith community should be at the forefront of the conversation about how it is that we then combat HIV and AIDS not only in Black America, but in America at large, because I believe that if we can end HIV in Black America, then we can end HIV in America. So when you first brought this initiative to the faith community, what was the, what, what has been the response? Certainly. So the good news is, if you can find good news in the midst of pandemics, is that because of COVID-19, the world, society at large, has never been more aware about disease, about viruses, about vaccines, about pandemics. And so we've been able to leverage that awareness to re-engage folks around this important conversation of HIV and AIDS. Because if you really think about it, the conversation has kind of fallen off. Right. You know, we were at a crisis level where the face of HIV were emaciated people, uh, were people who you could tell were sickly. That's not the case anymore. People are thriving with HIV now because of novel medication uh, and research and discovery. Right. And so, you know, the inability to be able to see HIV, if you will, has really kind of reduce the level of awareness around the disease where, you know, you have some people saying that the HIV epidemic is over or uh, Magic Johnson was cured. And so that was the end of it. And Magic Johnson was not cured of HIV, still very much so thriving with HIV. But um, so we've been able to leverage this moment in our history uh, where we're all aware of pandemics to engage Black people, but also Black faith leaders at a time when faith communities have been mass vaccination sites for COVID-19. Faith communities have been the ground zero, if you will, for some of the response uh, that has been necessary over the last couple of years. Why then shouldn't faith communities also be able to offer HIV and AIDS services, education, and awareness in the same way in which we have for COVID-19 at a time such as this. And so the response has been positive for the most part. We still have to contend with differences in ideologies. We still have to contend with 
the various leanings that come with different denominations, different aspects of faith, um, different regions in our country. Mm -hmm. But by and large, people have been eager to get factual, correct information from trusted messengers who mm -hmm. can speak not just to the science and the medicine, but also to how it intersects with us culturally and who can make the information accessible in a way uh, that everybody can understand it. I want to be mindful that while this particular conversation is around Black faith and maybe even more specifically the Black church, the HVTN Faith Initiative is an interfaith initiative where we have faith ambassadors like Imara Kennedy, who represent the Baha'i faith community, or the Buddhist faith community, or the Muslim faith community, and of course, Christianity. And so we understand that Black people are not a monolith, and Black faith is not monolithic, and that we have to be able to have these messengers that can reach into all aspects of the ways in which Black and Brown people live into belief systems. Uh, and so it is an ongoing work. We are just in the first year of this HVTN faith initiative in its expanded form. And we look forward to the ways in which we can continue to engage faith communities around ending the HIV and AIDS epidemic in the United States. Well, there's what you just said that, that I want to make sure our audience hears that this is an initiative that goes across the board to every faith institution across the board because our community is not just Christian, it's not just Muslim, but we have to fit, we have to reach out to everyone. And, and that's on every level. We have to reach out to everyone socially, economically, spiritually, on every level to, to stop this. And um, this is just, this is phase, what phase is this? We, we've, we've been fighting this battle for a while. That's right. But people let it go, and now we see a resurgence. Um, quickly, just tell me, what are the demographics that are being hit the most right now when we talk about the resurgence of HIV in our community? Sure. So HIV is a disease that is indiscriminate. Anybody can be vulnerable for HIV transmission, but the demographic of people who have bared the greatest burden of HIV in our country are Black, same gender-loving men, particularly in the southeastern region of the United States. And so there are roughly 1.2 million people living with HIV in the United States. We see an average of 40,000 new cases each year. Of those 1.2 million people living with HIV, nearly half are Black, same gender-loving men. And of those 40,000 new annual cases, more than half of those annual new cases will be among Black, same gender-loving men as well. Likewise, Black women continue to be disproportionately impacted by HIV when compared to their white female counterparts. 
In 2008, HIV and AIDS was the leading cause of death in Black women of reproductive age. I'm happy to say that since then, that incidence has decreased by 41%, largely due to the increase in awareness and education and information around access to treatment and prevention for women, for expecting mothers. Uh, and so we've seen a lot of progress in that area, but Black women are still disproportionately impacted by HIV when compared to white women. Likewise, Black trans women have the highest rate of HIV transmission per capita in terms of that particular demographic and the greatest burden of HIV in our country is in the southeastern region of the United States, which also happens to be the region of our country that has the majority of Black people and majority of Black churches and Black faith institutions. And so um, all of those things uh, put together, the epidemic in our country is an epidemic uh, among Black and Brown people sexual and gender minorities, people of faith, which is why I made the comment earlier in my remarks that if we can end HIV in Black America, we can effectively end HIV in America. Right. I want to bring our other panelists on. I want to hear about what drove each one of you to participate in this initiative and how you're bringing it home to your churches and to your faith institutions. So I'll start with um, Dr. Crawford. Tell us a little bit about what's going out going on out there in California. Well, here in California, it's sunny, it's warm, the skies are blue, the beaches are nice. That's what's going on out here in California. <laughs> um, <laughs> aside from that, um, we're dealing with the same issues here that Black America is dealing with all over the nation. Um, to answer your question, how I um, became so passionate about this initiative and initiatives like this one, um, really is charged by my personal experience um, in the community, uh, in the church, with my own personal encounters with people who are managing uh, HIV, um, and AIDS and things of that sort. It also has made me very passionate about helping and pushing a healthy, you know, narrative forward. And um, it has really, um, I don't know, shown a light on how important the Black church is. You know, he is absolutely correct. The Black church is a staple in the Black community. And so what can we do? What is our part in this initiative? I think our part is simply um, displaying the love of Christ and accepting people um, as they are, for who they are, and where they are. That's our job as a church. Okay. Uh, Bishop Monty um, Norwood, tell us a little bit about what's going on at your ministries here in Atlanta. 
So my journey uh, with HIV and AIDS started almost 40 years ago while serving as an associate pastor in Southern California, Ward African Methodist Episcopal Church. And I was uh, called to the hospital one night uh, from a person who was not even a member, but regularly attended the church and was uh, dying of AIDS. At that time, it was little known what was going on, but he'd been disowned by his family. And I was able to be there with him and that family through that transition. And so many times since, um, my journey took me uh, to planting a church in Northeast Ohio, the Imani United Church of Christ, which is still in existence, where we also champion the cause of HIV and AIDS, testing and connection to treatment and removing the stigma to where I currently serve at Bible Way Ministries International here in Southeast Atlanta. And the irony is I also serve as an assistant professor of theology uh, at Beulah Heights University, uh, the theologian in residence. And the church is in the 30315 zip code. The school is in the 30316 zip code. They're both located in the city limits of the city of Atlanta in the Southeast section. And the, the two different zip codes are interesting. One is predominantly black, the other is uh, gentrifying and also home to one of the skyrocketing uh, real estate areas where the median home price is 600,000, but they are both impacted by HIV and AIDS. And so a few years back, I was privileged to co-found something called the Atlanta Black Faith Leaders HIV and AIDS Coalition, a group of pastors that started as a result of a grant that was being written at Georgia State University. And I have continued to champion every opportunity I can to remove the stigma and to bring education, enlightenment, to bring testing and connection to treatment at every turn that I can, because I believe that the core message of the gospel is that and as much as you've done it to the least of these, especially those who are marginalized, those who are stigmatized, Jesus said that you have done it unto me. And, and I often reflect theologically on a couple of things attributed to, to Martin King, uh, who said that whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. If the rights of one person are violated, he meant especially in their most vulnerable position, then the rights of all have have been diminished and then maybe we're more familiar with that quote attributed to him that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere that we're caught and I really like this part of it in an inescapable network of mutuality and so I see so much of life connected and 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 so when I look at those in the pews of the congregation I serve when I look at those in the community when I look at the student body I serve when I look at my own family my own circle of friends I know that this is a persistent issue that must be addressed unashamedly, unabashedly, and every opportunity I get, I do. So that's just a little bit about my perspective. And that's a long about. journey, but you you are 10 and I, I, wow, you've been out there for a long time and uh, it's, it's good work, it's good work. Um, finally, let's get to Dr. Cofield. Tell us a little bit about what's going on in Houston. Yeah, so um, I want to thank all of you for this opportunity to share with this, this panel. Um, I really got into this fight by simply assessing the needs in our community. And I pastor in a state that is known to be unfriendly to public health. 
and this is a public health crisis. Um, I serve in a state, in the state of Texas, where we have approximately 3 million people who are uninsured or underinsured. And our church campus sits in a zip code that at one time was the number one zip code in the city of Houston for new HIV and AIDS infections. And the city of Houston is, is a distinct city in that um, while there are a lot of services available, um, those services have been primarily accessed by the GLBTQ community, but the straight community has shied away from those services in a very real way. Um, a lot of ignorance in the heterosexual community that has prevented them from seeking treatment and when treatment is available, accessing that treatment. And so for me, being in this area, being in this community, and I not only pastor in this neighborhood, I live in this neighborhood, mm -hmm. um, it, it became paramount for me to stand for those who don't have a voice and to address some of the ignorance that is plaguing our community and our zip code in our community. Uh, we saw the, the number one group that was affected by new HIV and AIDS infections was heterosexual women between 18 and 35. Um, and then the next group was heterosexual young men. And again, many of them walking around positive. And it's, it's interesting just the ignorance, you know, to uh, piggyback on Dr. Burley's statement. You know, there's some in the heterosexual community who either don't think Magic Johnson ever had it or are trying to figure out how he's still alive like just completely ignorant of medical advances and treatment advances to help people live with HIV and AIDS. And I, I love the statement that was made, this intersection between the science and the sacred, right. but there's one more piece to that, and that's the secular. And I think many churches have shied away from this mm -hmm. Um, for a variety of reasons, many of them rooted in ignorance. And when I say ignorance, I mean literally ignoring facts. They don't know. Uh, they presume things that are not in evidence. And so for us as a church, um, this became part of our public health agenda. No different than prostate cancer screening and how it affects the African-American community, breast cancer, uh, triple negative DCIS and how that adversely affects African-American women. Um, I can just keep on going down the list. And so we've addressed all of those things. So it hasn't been a special emphasis on HIV and AIDS. It's, it's public health. And we believe that the issues surrounding public health are social justice issues that we need to speak out on. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've been doing. Right. The, the, the idea that there's stigma attached to stigma and ignorance attached to um, this particular issue in our communities and people having a sense of shame around it or just not knowing and that the church has to become a place where information is free it's, it's given and there's no shame in asking questions how do we get other faith leaders who might not be at this place that you're at, Dr. Kofoot, but you say this is all part of your public health initiative. Um, how do we bring them into this and say, everyone yeah. needs to be here? 
Yeah. So the first thing, and I'm going to, I'm going to coin a phrase that I think those of us who have been in ministry for a while, especially if you come out of the traditional church context, um, the old preacher used to say, when in doubt, check the red letter, right? Um, Look at the words of Jesus, look at the actions of Jesus. And, you know, for me, I'm very clear in our church that this is a no judgment zone. Um, Mm. You know, judgment is above our pay grade. Uh, We have one job responsibility, and that's the love. And the truth of the matter is, none of us can stand up to our own scrutiny when we talk about judging, um, whether it's behavior or intentions, um, none of us can stand up to it. So how do we do what God has commanded us to do? And that's to love people where they are in order to help them get where ultimately God wants them to be. Um, Whether I agree or disagree with a person's lifestyle, Heck, there's times I don't agree with my own lifestyle and what I'm doing. And I look back over my life and recognize that I've made mistakes, right? But but how do we love people um, despite our differences? And how do we help get them to where ultimately God wants them to be? And so I, I challenge church leaders to always think about, one, majoring on the major, and that's love. How do we show that to our community? How do we engage in this fight? And then for me, just recognizing that this is a public health issue. This is not a morality issue. Um, This is an issue that's affecting people all over our community. And we need to speak out against it. We need to support people who are going through it. Um, I don't judge women who have contracted breast cancer. And people may say, well, that analogy doesn't work out. I'm just saying basic facts. I don't judge men who never got a screening and contract prostate cancer. You know, I lost one of our best men in our church to prostate cancer screening. And he said, Pastor, I've never been sick a day in my life. And by the time he discovered he had a high PSA level, it was over 3,000, right? Now, this was a brilliant man, a doctorate, you know, an educator who never got screened because he was never sick a day in his life because he didn't understand those dynamics. And so for me, I just see it all as a public health issue that we have to address, that we have to speak out against and make resources available to our community. And so, you know, every event that we would do at our church, we would have HIV and AIDS testing, anything that we did with the community, Uh, our distribution of food, addressing food insecurities in our community. We would share with all of our clients, hey, man, you need to get tested. I don't care how old you are, how young you are, you need to get tested. Uh, When the county came, for example, and they did an expungement event, um, I told the district attorney, hey, we're going to do HIV and AIDS testing. And she said, well, we're not coming, Pastor, because, you know, that's a political issue. And I said, well, then don't come. You know, because at the end of the day, this is what we do as a church. So if you're going to come, you need to know this is what we do. We help people. And she ended up backing up and changing her mind and coming, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, that's the commitment that we have to help our community. And if we're committed to helping the community, we have to be committed to helping everyone in our community address all of the issues that plague our community. Wow. That's that's a lot. But that model that you're sharing with us right now if we could get one church, uh, one institution in every community to be willing to stand in the way that you're standing, we, we would push the needle forward. 
Um, I guess I want to ask a little bit about what about an institution, Dr. Burley, who says, well, we don't have the resources to do any of this. How, how can we do this? Yeah, so I think Dr. Cofield gave an excellent example of the ways in which you can impact the HIV and AIDS epidemic in a positive mm -hmm. way Absolutely. without having an HIV and AIDS ministry or without having funds earmarked in the budget for this particular ministry. He mentioned uh, events to address food insecurity and making sure that HIV testing was available at those events. HIV is as much a social disease as it is a medical disease in that there are so many intersecting factors that can make one more vulnerable to HIV transmission, including poverty, including illiteracy, including lack of access to healthcare. And so, you know, access to housing. And so if you have a ministry that caters to the homeless, then you have an HIV and AIDS ministry because mm -hmm. you have an opportunity to impact a demographic of people who are more vulnerable to HIV transmission as a result of their housing situation. If you have a food ministry, then you have an HIV and AIDS ministry. Absolutely. Because yes. people who are more vulnerable to HIV transmission also tend to be food insecure. You see what I'm saying? Right. And right. so in every major city, there is an organization that will come out to your site and offer free HIV testing. Uh, and if there isn't an organization, your departments of health uh, can, can, can do it. And so it's not a matter of cost. It's just a matter of being aware that these intersections exist. And that's why these types of conversations are important because if you're not at the forefront of this work, if you haven't been doing it for 40 years like Bishop Norwood, then you might not know that there is this inextricable link between mm -hmm. hunger and HIV that's or between right. housing security, having somewhere safe uh, to lay your head at night and HIV or access to healthcare and HIV. And so just by knowing this, you could say, okay, there's a likelihood that these very people that I am serving who come here every week to get a meal might also be people who are living with HIV because of their circumstances. And that then becomes a way in which churches, faith communities can leverage what they have to impact the HIV and AIDS epidemic in their communities. Hey, Cheryl, can I jump in here? Uh, sure. This conversation is on fire. Uh, Pastor Kofi, I was ready to come to Jesus when you preached. <laughs> and Dr. Burley, absolutely, yes. Not just an awareness, but a willingness. Our church is in a food desert. And our partnership with Imara, with Aid Atlanta, with the AIDS Healthcare Foundation, during our food pantry that feeds hundreds of people each month is where we bring the test to the van. So... Big ups, amen, amen, amen. Not only aware of it, but a willingness to do it. I lead the line in getting tested. <laughs> I've been tested in front of our congregation. Uh, we are making 
the opportunity accessible and available and encouraging uh, our community and congregation to engage. I'm just so excited about this conversation, uh, about everything that's being said. Dr. Crawford, I know you have an event coming up very soon in which you're reaching yes. out to the community. Tell us a little bit about that. Okay, great. I'm glad you asked. We're, we, we, every year we have church at the park. And our church at the park is very, very, very strategic. Everyone on the panel has said so much and have, have talked about so many um, ways that, that we also impact and affect the community. But church at the park is one where we kind of use a Trojan horse, if you will, strategy to reach the community and people in the community. So we're not necessarily targeting the church folks for this. We're really targeting folks that don't necessarily go to church. It's for the community at large. So for live entertainment, we're not having gospel, known gospel artists. We're having, you know, what would be considered, like uh, Dr. Cofield said, secular artists. Um, and, 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 uh, doing it that way, we're we're bringing on entertainers from the LBGTQ community and for youth, uh, the hip hop community and R&B community. We're bringing on black and brown artists for that, and we also include HIV testing in every event that we put on. We try to connect them each time, um, and and like Dr. Norwood, my husband and I who are pastor and co-pastor, we're first in line. We're not first in line before the event opens up. We're first in line so that we can be seen as being tested because it is as much as a, I think, I think, uh, uh, Dr. Burley, I think it's more a social issue than anything else. And I think we should normalize the fact that this isn't limited to any particular community. At this point, we can't put a tag or a face or a label or we can't a stereotype. At this point, it is a social issue. So the, mm -hmm. the thing that we can do as faith leaders, again, we're accepting people, you know, as they are, who they are, whatever condition they are. But because we're a staple, it's our business, it's our responsibility to be educated so that we can extend that education and acceptance. Um, to our congregants and communities. Right. And, right. and if I can, if I can add this, I think for me the biggest challenge is having organizations recognize the role that the church can play in bringing about awareness and bringing about testing. And let me go where angels fear to tread, uh, sharing resources that they have. I've had organizations who are quick to come uh, yeah. and want to claim our numbers, but they don't want to share their funding. And mm -hmm. so, you know, while, and I, I'm not asking for funding to put something in my pocket. I'm asking for funding to help me, for example, expand my food pantry, you know, and the work that we do every week or our empowerment events that we do every month. And so when I'm testing 100 to 150 people a month, all new testing, not retesting, right? And somebody hears about those numbers, they want to know, well, how did you do that? Well, I've been serving the community for, for 10, 15, 20 years in a very intentional and strategic way. And one of the things that I discovered, and I can't remember the article that I read it in, but the statement was basically 
people are more likely to seek health care when it is offered in their household of faith 67% more of the time. So when it's offered in there, and I had people, for example, who came and got COVID vaccines, who said, Pastor, I'm I'm only here because it's being offered at the church. I was scared to go to any clinics. I was scared to go to any hospitals. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having it here. Right. 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 Well, we saw the same thing with breast cancer screening and prostate cancer yes. screening and HIV screening. Absolutely. And, and it said that it's okay that you need to get tested. And like everybody else, I'm, I'm first in line, whatever it is. It's so much so that people were like, man, I didn't know pastor had prostate cancer. I've never had prostate cancer, right? right. I'm, I'm going to get tested for it. You know, I've never mm-hmm. had breast cancer, but I'm going to promote it. I'm going to push it. My wife is going to be in front. Uh, we're going to be in front when it's appropriate for us to be together. Because this is a public health issue, but there are agencies that are out there. Um, you know, we talk about the church being homophobic. Yeah. But there are agencies out there that are, I don't know what you would call it, Christophobic, who don't want to work with us, mm. uh, who want to come in and claim numbers. You know, and I had an organization that tried to do that and I put them off my campus. I told them they wasn't welcome to come back. You know, don't try to slip in and be slick and want to take a picture with me and then go out and claim that you're getting all of this, but you don't want to give me $50 to help feed people? Like, come on. No, we, if, if this is a public issue, let's work together to make this happen. Uh, but don't play me, you know, and, uh, and, and then try to, try to get over. And there has to be accountability on every side. Absolutely. What we're really trying to do. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to move towards closing this conversation out because we could go on right now. And I'm just so excited about this particular Mm -hmm. initiative because I think um, because we have gotten to a place where our churches Mm -hmm. saw the impact they could make during Mm -hmm. COVID and how other faith institutions really stood in the the Mm -hmm. space for us during COVID, that they're feeling a little bit stronger about stepping forward on at this time in other ways. So we are hoping through this initiative that we can help be that push in every community across the country. We talked about some major places, uh, uh, Los Angeles, Houston, Atlanta, but Mm -hmm. we know just as we have these cities that there are, a hundred other cities that we need to, to, to reach out to. And so we say through this discussion with this initiative, we'll be here for the next uh, few months, reaching out um, as a partner with the HVTN Faith Initiative. And we will be bringing this type of dialogue to our audience and asking that the faith-based institutions that participate and other partners spread the word so this conversation can continue and and build and the stigma that exists in our community around this particular issue around HIV and AIDS and what it means to us begins to fade and we feel more purposeful and more powerful in how we as a community can address this issue and we all are here together. We're gonna to work on this together. So what we will say to you, to those of our audience who's listening in, 
that we have a survey that will be up that we want you to take this survey so we can see how, um, how this particular type of dialogue and other events that we'll be having help you to understand this particular topic and, give, and whether or not it's useful in helping you make decisions around HIV and AIDS. Um, we will have resources up on our page for every institution that um, our panelists have discussed today. Uh, we want to know where they are and what they're doing in the community. And we just are here to be a bridge. And so I want each one of um, my wonderful panelists to give me a closing statement. And then we will say to you that knowing your status is powerful. Get tested today. So I'll start off with Dr. Crawford. What would you like to end, um, share with the audience? I think I would just like to end by saying it's important for the church to, I, I would just like to say that I think it's important for the church to normalize testing, but bigger than that, we on this platform, like you said, we're in major cities and we're doing groundbreaking things. But before we move out to other major cities, us, we need to affect the other communities that are surrounding us. There are a lot of communities in LA that can use the model and take on the same attitude and approach that we are at ECM. So my work is cut out for me and I would encourage other churches um, to start in the surrounding communities where they are, each one affect one. Um, it is a, like uh, Dr. Burley said, it is a, a issue that can be possibly eradicated if we can just fix it in our own communities. So that's the charge that we're taking on here. Thank you. Dr. Caulfield. So statistics show prior to COVID, 89% of churches in our country had either plateaued or were in decline, which means they had stopped growing or they were losing members. That was prior to COVID. Um, now the number is something like 95, 96%. 200 churches a week were closing their doors during COVID. And one of the problems with that and what we see in churches that are struggling and churches that are dying, they become more inward focused. Mm. They take on a fortress mentality. They don't reach out into their community. They don't identify with their community any longer. And so I think it's important and I want to encourage pastors and church leaders to find out who your community and what they are made up of. Uh, don't be content with being a commuter church. Make a commitment to become a community church. Stop mm -hmm. the drive-in, drive-through mentality around ministry mm -hmm. and actually think about how can I be salt and light where we're meeting and where we live. We preach, teach the ideal, um, but we know we have to live with the real. And I think mm. if you learn how to live in the real and love in the real, then I think we can help our community and people fulfill their potential in God. Wow. Thank you. And Dr. Norwood, what would you like to share? I want to close with something that has uh, made an impact 
with pastors and churches that I have engaged in trying to connect and move from orthodoxy to orthopraxy. And it simply says, genocide is biblical, loving your enemy is biblical, but only one is Christ-like. Mm. Enslavement is biblical, chain breaking is biblical, but only one is Christ-like. Patriarchy is biblical, Countercultural elevation of women is biblical, but only one is Christ-like. Retributive violence is biblical. Grace-filled restoration is biblical, but only one is Christ-like. Segregation is biblical. Unity is biblical, but only one is Christ-like. Here's the bottom line. Christ transforms, not the Bible. Be wary of those who know one, but not the other. That's all I have to say. Thank you. And I will let you close us out. Listen, I just want to thank all of these great leaders in their communities for the work that you are doing, the work that you have always done, work that you've done before I was on this earth uh, <laughs> that has allowed me to be able to stand in the gap uh, for people living with HIV. The HBT and Faith Initiative has faith ambassadors and presence all around the country, New York City, Washington, D.C., Atlanta, Georgia, Little Rock, Arkansas, Los Angeles, California, Chicago, Illinois, Houston, Texas. And so we invite you to engage our ambassadors uh, through our website, www.hbtn.com backslash community. You find the HBTN Faith Initiative there and you will see all of those ambassadors and the ways in which you can connect with those ambassadors. Likewise, at its core, the HIV Vaccine Trials Network is an organization designed to discover an effective HIV vaccine. We have never eradicated a human disease without either a cure or a vaccine. We have neither for HIV. And while we have many tools that can prevent HIV and that can pe keep people living with HIV healthy, uh, we still need an HIV vaccine. And in order for us to achieve that, we need the active participation and partnership of communities, and particularly the communities that would be most impacted and benefit most from an HIV vaccine. If you'd like to learn more about ways in which you can learn about the local studies that are happening in your communities, you can visit www.helpnhiv.org. And there you can be able to learn more about the HBTN's Red Ribbon Registry, which is the first of its kind that allows for everyday people to volunteer or participate in scientific research to help clinicians and scientists develop an HIV vaccine that is effective and accessible for everyone. I do this work at the intersection of faith and health, because for me, those two things are one and the same. Um, across all faiths, healing is a key tenet. Abundant life is a key tenet. Likewise, science and public health is about healing and about abundant life for all. And so it really makes perfect sense to me then that not only are people of faith and faith leaders are part of the conversation, but that people of faith and faith leaders are leading the conversation. I look forward to continuing to work with these great leaders and I look forward to continuing to have these important conversations with rolling out over these next few months. 
Thank you. Again, thank each one of you for joining this conversation today. Uh, we look forward to pushing the needle and, and making this a conversation that everyone feels like they can be part of. Good night. Thank you, Sharon.